Good evening. Um, I'm Danny Lee. Welcome to BAFTA's Life in Pictures. Uh, we'd like to thank, first of all, Audi. We'd also like to thank the Savoy for this remarkable environment that we find ourselves in. Um, we're here to celebrate an actress who starred in some of the finest American movies of the last 30 years, and that's really no coincidence, because it's almost always her that makes them quite so good. Her name is Annette Benning. Thank you. Welcome. How are you? Good. I just sort of missed the chair, so that was a good start. <laughs> it's a good start. But it's all fine now. <laughs> it feels a little ironic, actually, doing this, Annette, because uh, for all your astonishing talent, off-camera you always seem quite a private person, actually, and someone who is quite keen on keeping a divide between the movie actress and actually the woman outside of that. Oh. Uh, well, uh, <laughs> I thought I'd give you an easy first question. Just to get <laughs> exactly. Well, I think it's always uh, sane to have a certain amount of privacy. Um, and it's good, it's good for the work as well. Um, but of course, it's, I think it's trickier now. Um, I, I don't know what it's like to start out in the, in the time of social media. I think it's tough. I think I, I really feel for the people starting out who feel a responsibility to be on social media. I guess you have to be. I, I don't know. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was, it was even as I, when I first started and I remember the first time I was asked to be on a television show, I think it was the Johnny Carson show, and of course I loved Johnny Carson, I watched it as a kid, American late night show, but um, I didn't want to do it, I was just uh, a bit nervous to do it, um, so I think there's a certain amount of sanity in it. Uh, having some privacy, but then I feel like uh, on the screen, I hope, or when I, when I work, that I'm very open. I want to be totally open. That's the, um, that's the goal, isn't it? And it's ironic because uh, there's something in the psyche that even when you're an actor, actress, and, and you want to be totally available to the moment and you want to be open, there is a part of the psyche that says, no. Shouldn't, you know, you have, you have to learn how to do it. Otherwise, there wouldn't be acting schools if you could just do it. So anyway, yeah, I think a certain amount of privacy is probably a wise thing. That's just for me, though. I mean, you started out on the stage. I mean, people will probably be aware that before we ever saw you on screen at the end of the 80s, I mean, you'd, had, you'd already had a decade on the stage. Do you think it's easier for a stage actress, or stage actor, in fact, to keep hold of their privacy? And maybe it's something about the camera and the screen that we sort of want to know what's going on with the, with the real person. Is it easier for a stage actor to mm. have more privacy? Yeah. Uh, I think so, yeah, for sure. And also a lot of it is just that the, the selling of what you're doing on screen is really what uh, generally makes your private life more public. So, so yeah, but, then, but there's a lot you can do to kind of ameliorate that. So there's a certain amount of control you have and then there's a certain amount that you have to sort of uh, give up. Sure. Yeah. I mean, when you work, were working on stage, I mean, you had this flourishing career. You worked on Broadway. I mean, at that point, were you thinking about the movies, or were you solely concentrated on theatre? And was was no, kind I of was an accident? thinking about movies okay. at that point. I had, I mean, I was, I didn't move to New York till I was twenty-eight, and I was trying to, I was doing a play, and I was trying to get uh, work on uh, film, whatever, anything I could get. No, I, I very much wanted to, but I was also very intimidated by it. Uh, very intimidated by it. We had never had any training in that at all in acting school. They just sort of would say things to you like, well, you know, you can't be big. On You get very big, you know, you can't overdo, you have to do less. And also, you look 10 pounds heavier. Wow. <laughs> I remember they would always say that. And then I forgot about that for about 20 years. And then I realized it again recently. I thought, is that true? I don't, <laughs> I don't know if that was ever true. I forget if it was. Um, no, but I was very intimidated. I felt like a stage actress doing, uh, you know, doing things on camera for a long time. I didn't feel at home on a set. I didn't feel at home just sitting quietly talking. That seemed so strange. 
that that was acting. You know, you can speak very quietly like this and keep it very small. That felt very weird to me. I was used to being up. The athletic, the athletic experience of being an actor was so much a part of it and going from the beginning to the end of the process every time you do it and all of that. So I, I had to learn. But then uh, once I... There's a lot of cameras wandering around. They really are, aren't they? <laughs> everywhere. Uh, no, once you, get, once you uh, learn to um, love it, it's such a luxury. And now I love working. I love working uh, in film. And it took me a long time to really feel, uh, you know, like I knew what I was doing. Well, I wondered about that, because obviously, you know, your, your movie career starts, interesting films, Valmont, Postcards from the Edge, and then there's, I imagine a lot of the, the first time a lot of people here will have seen you was in The Grifters, which is this astonishing role, Stephen Freer's great movie from 1990. Thank you. I'm wondering kind of how that came about, and also, you've talked a little bit about confidence. I mean, it's, it's a role I would expect that requires a certain amount of confidence to play. Which one? Myra in, oh, in Myra. The Grifters. Um, yes. <laughs> they all do. Uh, well, let's see. Myra, so St Stephen Frears uh, uh, was, all, had dire was directing a movie called Dangerous Liaisons. And Milos Forman was directing a movie called Valmont. And they were both based on the same book, as I'm sure you all know. Okay, so they, at, they were both making these movies simultaneously. <laughs> They're like competing movies. But I was in New York at the time, so I was in a play, and they both met me for the movies. So Stephen Frears was interested in me playing the girl who gets the letter written on her bare ass. And Milos Forman was interested in that I might play the leading role. But, uh, so that was weird and funny and whatever, of course. I, I auditioned for Milos for months, over and over. And he would tell me what to do and give me direction. And I would read with different people. And it went on and on and on. Fine, that was great. And uh, then Stephen I met twice, and then I remember the second time he said, well, you know, I'm going to go to France. And Anyway, basically, he was like, I have five or six girls who can play the part, and I'm just going to see what I want to do. And I was, <laughs> right, okay, fine. So then I didn't get the part of the girl who gets the letter written on her bum, and I did get the part in the other one, which was incredible. And Colin Firth, uh, and I, Colin had done more movies than I had at that point. I mean, I, what had I, I'd done one family comedy. <laughs> anyway, so Milos was great and taught me a lot, and he was very tough. And, um, you know, comes from a different school of directing than most, what more Western, whatever, directors. Um, we were all sort of traumatized by him. Because uh, we were doing this period thing. So we we're all very, you know, I don't know, you get stiff. You think, oh, people then sat in a different way. I don't know what it is. You have a thing in your head. So we were all doing that. And he would say, no, 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 no. Natural. Be natural. And then we would, well, it would kind of go like this. Like, if you had a line, like, say something. Say a line. Hello, Annette. Hello, Annette. All right. So you say, no, 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 no. Natural. Hello, Annette. Hello. And then he would do it for you. And it kind of seemed fake the way he was doing it, too. <laughs> but he gave you an idea of what he meant. And he was right. Okay. Right? He was always right. So it was invaluable to me because he was very tough. And Sean Phillips, who became a great friend, who still is my great friend, we ended up living together when we were making the movie. What a woman. We still have trade stories about, you know, times we were humiliated by Milos Forman. <laughs> anyway, okay, so we made that movie. We arrived in France. They, Stephen Frears and his group, they were just leaving when we arrived. So they went back to the United States. We're there. We were there forever. I mean, it was incredible. That I got to, I, I still can't believe that I got to do that movie. Did it really happen? It did. Okay. So then I got back to the US, and literally, I'm not kidding, the day I got back, the other movie was opening. So I went to see it. Of course. <laughs> and it was really good. <laughs> wow, okay. Now what happens? So then uh, Stephen Frears was doing The Grifters. So he'd seen me for the other movie, and 
he had made this, uh, so actu actually Milos very kindly showed him some footage from Valmont. He was thinking of casting me in the Grifters. I think somebody else might have turned it down. I always forget to ask Stephen that question when I see him. Did someone else turn that down? I don't know why, I just would like to know. I think she did. Anyway, so I got to play it and um, yeah, no, I was quite nervous, um, but I worked a lot on it. He told me to watch Gloria Graham. Mm -hmm. He said, and can you lighten your voice? <laughs> he said that to me. And he would always, he's, he's, a, he's a great director because he's, he's letting everyone kind of do, do a lot. He, he's very good at watching and arranging things and he's, he was great. And um, it was a very good, you know, it's based on a book. Jim Thompson wrote a ton of these paperback novels. They're great. There's a lot of movies made from them. He was a wonderful writer. He tried to move, move to Hollywood and, and go there once. And I ran into some bookstore at the time that I was working on the picture because I remember picking up a big stack of them. And inside was one that was a bio, an autobiography about his own life. He had a really tough life. He was from, I think, Oklahoma. He worked on oil rigs. He was an alcoholic by the time he was a teenager and super smart. And he was working on the oil rig and reading the classics. And um, he's a really interesting guy. So, and there was another character in that book too that they cut out. But it was based on something really with the, mm -hmm. quite formidable. Donald Westlake, a great novelist, uh, adapted it. So all of that helped. And when we worked on it, we rehearsed. And I remember being able to go in and say, oh, you know, there's that little bit in the book. Could I have that? Could, I, could we do this? And we worked a little bit on it that way. And it was, uh, yeah, it was good. He's, he's a very confident director. And uh, I was in good hands. And Angelica's a, still a friend, an amazing woman. Your Stephen Frears impression is kind of uncanny. Actually. Do you like it's, it? It's a, little, it's a little odd, actually. The it's other almost, thing it's you would like say is, you'd say, should it be this or that? Should we do that or this? He would say, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, there it goes again. And then I realized that was his way. He would always say that. And that, that's very smart, because that way everyone's running around trying to do things. And, uh, uh, you know, he's, he's um, quite something, obviously. The Grifters is a fantastic film. If you haven't seen it, please do. It's a great story of con men it's and con women. Movie. I wonder what it was that you think a director saw in you, that you embodied, actually, that, that allowed you to play these very strong, rich, intelligent women right from the start. I just got lucky. No, I was very, I was very, very lucky to get that, and, and uh, you know, as we worked on it, we didn't know quite what it was going to turn into. But um, no, so it's a great, uh, and and very, you know, very important for me personally, and very liberating, and yeah. So, I mean, the other thing that jumps out is how natural the rapport feels between you and the camera, and having done that such a long kind of apprenticeship, I suppose, or career on stage. Did that come naturally? Were you thinking the whole time about where the camera is and, and the kind of the, the, the craft of screen acting, well, camera I th acting? I think that for me, and I'm sure it's true, it's different for everybody, the way I can tr try to describe it is that the internal work is, is similar in terms of the way that you think about building the character and your response, your initial response to, this, to the material, of course, is really important. You only get that one first read. You only get that one time when you're in the same position as the audience where you don't know what's going to happen. It's very important. And then uh, how to go about sort of thinking about it is very similar. Um, on the stage, of course, you have to do it many, many, many times. So obviously, you have to find different things to draw from as you go further into the run. Whereas on film, you may do it for a day or two, and then you're done with that. So you're doing bits and pieces, and that's very different. And the day-to-day -day life is very different. Your lifestyle is very different when you're in the theater versus doing a film. Um, and you have to be ready when they are in the movies, and that's very important, and it can be, it can be kind of crazy-making, but you, that's the deal. So, um, as I'm sure all of you know who are here, uh, it's all about the machines, you know? It's the, the lights and the sound and everything that they're trying to put together to make a shot so that when they get everything together, then hopefully you're right there. And that, um, that can be kind of scary. 
and you have to learn how to work with your own fear. I mean, that's always the case, right? And I try to talk to students about that when I talk to students only because I, 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 I had an illusion that there's some point at, at, that you reach in your life when you don't have that fear or that insecurity. That doesn't mean it changes, and right? As you get older, it changes, but still there's a, there is that, there is an edge that, that you want to have that you need to maintain and, and, and sort of cultivate or learn how to tolerate or however you deal with it. Everyone deals with it differently, but certainly we all have it. And there was an actress actually on Valmont, uh, an actress named Fabia Drake, who was in her 80s when we did the movie, and she um, was quizzing me on my lines, I remember that, which for some reason I knew Probably because I, well, I still thought that, that if I was looking to figure out what the piece was, I would read the script because I'd been brought, raised in the theater, right? So you go back to the play, you read the play. But movies, that's not where it is. It's not in the words there. It's, some, it's somewhere else. It's somewhere in the moment that you're making it with the camera and the other people. And But anyway, she had a phrase, which she probably got from somewhere else, I don't know, but she said, it's called divine discontent. Okay. Isn't that good? So it's divine discontent. So it's that edge that one always has if, if you're working on a creative uh, process. And um, when you have experience, it's great, but you're still always learning. If anything, I, I think you feel more free to learn as you get older because everything that you were taught, you begin to forget in a great way. I know for me, that's true. I went to acting school because I had to. I really had no sophistication about anything. The world, certainly not about theater or movies. And so I was one of those people that really benefited from it. But, um, but now I can, I can really forget it. It's interesting you said that because I was going to ask in the context of The Grifters about yeah. someone we didn't see on screen, Angelica Houston, the great Angelica Houston. Yeah. I wondered how much you found movie sets were a place where you could learn and whether you were looking to... So an actress like her who had done a lot of screen work before then, are you, are you watching are you, are you, or are you very much immersed in your own performance? Oh, no, I'm always watching, always. And maybe even more so now because I... I, I don't know why, but I can. Oh, yeah, watching very carefully and listening and uh, learning from what they're doing, the really great ones. Uh, as I'm watching them, I'm thinking, how do they do what they do? Um, so, no, that's a great luxury, isn't it? We can always learn. And I love, I'm a great audience as well. I mean, I love watching movies. I watched two movies on the way here in the plane. Anything good? Yes. I watched a movie called The Lovers, which I highly recommend, with Tracy Letts, who's a great playwright. He wrote August Osage County. He's from the... Steppenwolf crowd, but he's now also, he's, he did uh, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf on Broadway. He was incredible, and he's been doing lots of work since then, so he's in the film with Deborah Winger, Okay. and they're playing a husband and wife. I won't give anything away, but they're playing a husband and wife, and, and they're each having an affair, and they're getting ready to tell the other one the spouse that they're ready to leave. And that's the beginning of the movie. I'm intrigued. It's great. I'm hooked already. I wanted to fast forward a little bit and talk about The American President, which okay. is a movie you made in the mid-90s. So this is a film from a different era where The American President is a figure who we look up to and respect and feel <laughs> confident in. Isn't that funny? But there is, strange to think, isn't it? What an odd idea. Bizarre. What will they think of next? But there is this common thread, I think, with the characters, because, again, it is... I mean, we'll look at a clip in a second, you'll see what I mean. It, again, Sydney, the character you play, is a very... She's a very intelligent woman, again. And, again, it just feels like directors... There's something that you're embodying, something you're giving off, where directors feel confident in you to, to, to carry off that sense of, of intellect, really. And, that, and, again, that's why I come back to confidence. Thank you. I just wonder how much of that was what you were really feeling inside. Again, it's, were, you, were you feeling confident at that point? When I did The American President? Yeah, because by this stage, your screen career has kind of taken wing. Well, I had two children. That I, that's the first thing you always remember is how old were my children. I had a baby and a two-year-old. So I hadn't reached the level of tiredness that I would soon reach <laughs> with the third. And um, No, it was, and Rob Reiner directed it. Oh, you know, <laughs> this is horrible. This isn't 
what I should be saying at the Savoy, but I'm going to say it anyway. <laughs> so the OJ trial was on at right. the same time, right. right? And Rob Reiner was obsessed with the OJ trial. And so we had the set, and we shot in the studio. And then right next, you know, in a little room, there was this monitor of the trial going on. And Rob would go in and watch the trial and come in and kind of update us all the time on what was going on. Um, well, no, it was a great experience. Um, it was a wonderful script. Aaron Sorkin um, wasn't yet Aaron Sorkin. He was just a great writer. And, um, you know, in Aaron's people always are so articulate, aren't they? And they always go on about something and they do it really well. And they have something to say and then they do it. And, you know, so that's, you know, that's fun to play. Um, no, I love doing that. And Michael was a great, you know, pro. And, uh, yeah. There's something so kind of classically old school movie story about your delivery. I mean, and specifically, there's, there's a touch of the Catherine Hepburns in there. I wondered whether those screwball movies of the 30s were something that you'd gone back to and, and referenced, because just the speed of the dialogue there. I, yeah, I don't remember thinking about that. I was talking very fast, wasn't I? I <laughs> <laughs> and talking about fossil fuels, how interesting. Wow. 20, 22 years ago, 22 years ago. That's right, that's 22 years ago. Yeah, yeah incredible. No, I remember we visited the White House and uh, not for long, but we did. We, we went to the White House, and so Bill Clinton was new, uh, newly elected president, and I remember I went to see the vice president, Al Gore, and I remember he had a book that he'd just written about this subject, and he gave me an entire uh, lecture on, on the subject, which he was very, very passionate about then, and it really was not fashionable. Um, so anyway. Uh, there's that. Yeah, so why did I talk so fast? I don't remember. <laughs> well, the script kind of lends itself. I think I'm, yes, yeah, so the script lends itself to it, and um, that seemed appropriate. But sometimes I go too fast. I've, I've learned to slow down a little bit. <laughs> but uh, no, I, I, I don't remember if Rob, I don't, I don't honestly remember why I talked that fast. When I've read interviews with you, I mean, you are, you're, you're a, an engaged, you know, you're a politically aware person, but you also seem like someone who maybe chooses to express yourself or prefers to express yourself through the work. Is that, is that fair to say? Politically? Yeah. Yeah, sometimes I speak up uh, and we, I show up at things and endorse things and people, and sometimes I don't. It's quixotic because sometimes I really like my privacy and I, I don't want to be out there, uh, you know, in the public. And uh, sometimes I do, so I'm not consistent about it. But I'm certainly a news junkie. Everyone in my house is. And we have a lot to study at this point in America. So, yeah. I can't, I can't think what you mean. I know. Yeah. I have no idea it's what strange, I'm going to be referring to. I want to talk about something else American as well, which is American Beauty, um, which is this huge landmark movie. But it's interesting because it obviously it also seems to have a kind of connection back to you in the theatre because Sam Mendes comes to American Beauty as a theatre director. It's funny to think now. At that point, he was unknown as a cinematic force. And I wonder, with American Beauty, which we'll watch a clip from in a second, how much of a kind of, by that stage, a fair way experience in your screen career, how much of a helping hand you were to him? Oh, I don't think he needed any help. He, he was very, uh, he has this combination, he still has it, where he's very humble, but he's very confident at the same time. Right. So... Uh, he seemed to have very strong ideas about what he wanted to do. He actually did, uh, uh, but he wanted to cast me and Kevin Spacey, and we were both working on plays in different places, so we had to time it around that, um, which he was willing to do. Um, and I remember the cinematographer issue, and he wanted, uh, there were quite a few, it was a great script. It was there as a script, very strong, Alan Ball, that Alan Ball had written, um, so Sam was trying to figure out who to hire as a cinematographer. And he did ask me about that. And uh, he ended up hiring Conrad Hall. And Conrad Hall, as I'm sure many of you know, he's one of the great cinematographers. And he'd done many, many movies, including, um, well, he, he, he won uh, an Academy Award for I want to say Butch, San Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, but that doesn't sound right now. Anyway, I'm forgetting we will what his first, doesn't matter. Anyway, he's, he was epic, and he was an older man, 
And Sam did call me about that. And Conrad, I had worked with. And he's an incredible human being. And I always remember, he was then in his 70s. I always remember um, after Sam hired him, I got this call. It was Conrad. He called me and he said, Annette, I got it. And I always remember that. I just thought, that's who I want to be, you know, that, that person. He was so... He was so important in the making of that film. And how smart of Sam, you know, to hire a veteran like Conrad, who felt every scene. I mean, I remember so well going in. You know, movies are crazy. You go in so early in the morning. What is that about? I don't know. But <laughs> we always do that. I hoped you would know. I hope by now yeah, you would have no, tracked that Yeah, I figured that part out yet. <laughs> so there you are. It's very early. You know, you're, you're setting up the scene. In, in this case, we would always rehearse some. And figure out where we were going to be, and there Conrad would come in with his, his jacket, and he would just sit very quietly and watch. And, but he was such a feeling man and such a poet, and um, he added a dimension to the film that I think would not have been there had, had he not done it. You're being very self-effacing, because I think you also do that. Um, it's so strange with Caroline, the character you played. My memory is that a lot of critics and a lot of audiences I guess particularly men, felt quite worked up about her and took a dislike to her. And in fact, she's such a tragic character. There's something so heartbreaking about her. I mean, I'm guessing that some of that was in the script, but some of that was down to you, surely, and what you saw in that character and then brought out. No, I, I think people had yeah, diff all kinds of different reactions to Caroline. Um, some, so, yeah, I, I, uh, the, the script is so rich, and I know some people found it very funny. Uh, other people would... Find, I know, just because I remember when we were showing the movie initially and we would watch it and we would have wildly different responses from different audiences. So, yeah, it's whatever they brought to it. I mean, I wondered what, about that sequence in particular because obviously it, it kind of turns on a dime because yeah. there is this a dark humour to it and then suddenly at the end, I mean, it's, very, it's a shocking moment. And I, so I wondered about judging that tonally and also how you, were, how you were feeling, actually, in the scene where you're slapping yourself. It's a very... It's a, it's a, Powerful, powerful moment. Uh, let's see. I remember reading it. I remember when I first read the script, I remember looking at that scene and thinking, that's a great scene. Um, and so, in some ways, uh, that's something you don't think about again, uh, in a way. You, you are thinking about it, but you're um, sort of setting it aside in a way, not thinking about it too much. Except that what happened was, with that scene... Uh, we shot the scene, and I was, um, I've got to think about, I've got to think of more words to express this, because nervous isn't quite it, but I was certainly um, aware that it was a demanding scene, um, and I remember being, we were in, what, Woodland Hills or somewhere in the suburbs in L.A., you know, on a street, a very nondescript street, sitting in my trailer, waiting for them to be ready, they were inside some house, and they said, okay, you know, we're ready. Okay, I got myself all ready to go and went in and did it. And then after I did it, I thought, oh, God. You know, that's one thing about movies. It's like when you've done it, you don't have to do it again. <sighs> okay, well, I did it. Now, whatever it was, I, I'm, I'm, it's over. I don't have to think about it anymore. And then I was in my house getting ready to go to the set again I don't know how long, a week later or something. And I, it, I can even remember where I was in my house. And I looked at the call sheet, and the same scene was on the call sheet. It's like, it was like a nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> and I called Sam immediately. I said, Sam, that, that scene, it's on, um, it's on the call sheet. He said, oh, yeah, I forgot to tell you. It was too dark. No. So it was Conrad. And Conrad yeah. Hall, who loved dark. You know, he loves dark. He, he tries to make things as dark as he can. But he just misjudged it. And you couldn't see me. <laughs> so I had to do it again. So um, these things happen. <laughs> so, yeah, so I had to do it again. Um, well, let's see. What was on my mind? I don't know that I can really describe it, except that I don't know if anybody in the room can relate to having a, a voice inside which is very, very harsh and very critical. I may not be the only one here. Um, and I think Caroline had that 
so I think she suffered, uh, suffered with that. So if that's of any help. I mean, I'm wondering in that sequence, and also in the film as a whole, how much or how little improvisation was going on. Because, I mean, it, are you generally an actress who's, who stays true to the page? Or are there times when a character... And I wondered with Caroline, was it, it was a character who kind of took flight I, inside I, you? You know, we, we had a great script, as I said, but we did improvise some. We impro I, I improvised... In fact, I was just thinking, I improvised a little bit when we were doing the house stuff and I was walking from room to room. I think I was um, throwing in a few things here and there. And then when we did this scene, there's a dinner table scene where we have a big fight. And uh, Kevin and I have this big fight and Thor is sitting there quietly. And he ends up throwing the plate against the wall. And that scene, we def I, he definitely let me improvise like, because I remember very well. I remember improvising. Um, uh, so we did do some. And I love to improvise. It's my favorite thing. I, I, there's usually just not time in movies because time is money and it's usually too expensive. And uh, uh, I'm perfectly happy not to, you know, just, just, just to do what's there. But if, and there, there, I've done many movies, we didn't improvise at all, but occasionally we do get to. We did a lot in 20th Century Women, which I did last year or the year before, but um, we did some in this, yeah. We did some improvisation. I wanted to ask you about 20th Century Women, which is, you know, an astonishing movie. But with American Beauty, the thing that, that stays with me is the cultural impact it seemed to have. You know, very quickly, it was, it was picked up not just as a, as a good movie and a great night out, but also a movie that said something mm. about America. I mean, I wonder what that's like as one of the cast to live through, because the director kind of takes ownership of a film and they're interviewed about the film and it's seen as a grand statement by them. But obviously you will have, I'm guessing, moved on to other films by the time American Beauty comes out. How connected do you feel to, to that part of the process? You know, the movie comes out, everyone starts talking about it, everyone starts interpreting it. Is it well, still it's in exciting. Your mind? It's very exciting, okay. and I did a few films that didn't have that experience first. So I was very lucky that that happened to me. So I made a couple of films where you work very hard, you make the film, nothing happens, and I thought, oh well, that's is that the worst that it gets? That's okay. So then when I made a film, and then there was this big life afterwards, I thought, oh, I see. <laughs> that's what that feels like. That's very nice. Um, I went to the park. I, one of the things that happened with American Beauty, I remember very well, I was at the park with my kids. My kids were still little. And uh, so I'm at the park playing with my kids and this kid on a bike rides up. He looks like he's about 13. And he said, oh, you're that lady from American Beauty. I said, yeah. He said, I snuck into it five times. <laughs> and that I thought, wow, I was really touched. Uh, this little kid, you know, you could tell something in it just got him. And so um, I think that was a thing about the film is that people of different generations could uh, see themselves in it. And maybe it says something about um, America. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's thrilling to be a part of that. It's, it's wonderful. Can you see that coming? I mean, are you at a stage no. now? Okay, never. I mean, I wonder at what stage of the process an actor whether it's a script or on set, or maybe the first time they see something at a cast and screw screening, if, they, if you ever know how it's gonna land? Um, I guess the answer is no. I remember seeing it. There was actually a structure to the script. It was bookended by a trial in its original form, and we shot that. And um, when Sam eventually cut it, he decided to take that out and to not have the bookends of the trial in the film. Um, and whose decision that was, I've heard different stories, so I'm just gonna avoid that. But just to say, it ended up, Sam's choice was to not have that. And I do remember seeing the film. Um, I remember really well seeing it, the, for the first time, in a small screening room with my husband. And I just, uh, I just thought it, worked. I mean, I've done a lot of films and, you know, things you try and that section works or this section that doesn't. But I remember there's a moment I, that I remember reading it in the script and then I saw it on the screen. There's a moment where a plastic bag right. is going like that in the wind. And when I saw it in the film, I thought, oh my God, he did it. He figured out how to make that work. 
And, you know, in reality, when they shot it, it was just a plastic bag and a guy off camera with a wind blower, <laughs> you know? But it, it was the moment, it was the tone, it was the music, it's where it lands. And um, so I do remember that enormous, I was incredibly moved and incredibly, just the feeling of like, ah, you try so hard and so often it doesn't quite come together. And I thought, that's a great film. I loved it. And I wonder with your own performances whether you have a similar, a similar feeling. Because obviously, yes, a plastic bag floats past the camera. <laughs> you don't quite know what it represents. I'm pretty critical of myself. I enjoy myself sometimes. I also have that. I look at it and I think, ah, that's good. And uh, I think, oh, all right. And then a lot of the time I'm very critical, especially at first. I try not to talk about it because I find it kind of, I don't know, whatever. I know, but I think a lot of people feel that way about watching their own work, and, then, and not just actors, but I think lots of creative people, whether they're singers or writers or painters or whatever. You think, oh, I could have done it a, a little bit differently, or uh, at first especially. And then as time goes by, uh, it's easier um, to watch. And as I said, sometimes I, I quite enjoy it, so, um, but I am very critical. And it's weird. I mean, it, especially at first, it was very hard for me because I'd acted quite a bit before I'd ever seen myself act. And I thought, oh, my God, that's what my face looks like when I do this or that. And, oh, I never realized that, you know, that's what I look like or whatever. So that's, um, you know, it's like when you first hear your own voice record and you think, is that how I sound? It's like that, only bigger. Well, I was wondering, do you think it's a healthy thing for actors to, to see their own performances? Because on one level, I suppose the logic is how else do you learn how else do you improve things but on another level I mean it's always that thing of thinking well what if you see something that you really like and you would do more of that and then you went you know that's not oh, a way I to a good performance yeah. right. um, I think you do learn I've learned from it and I know some people that never ever ever watch themselves and I what I but I've, I've learned too much watching myself I, I learn a lot watching myself and um, in some ways I learned there are things I was worrying about that I didn't need to worry about um, I learn, uh, I learn all kinds of things. So no, I, I do, I do watch myself and, uh, for that reason. I don't watch myself on the set, right. um, which actually there's le less and less of that now anyway, because again, it takes too much time, but, um, yeah, I, I do to, to, for learning purposes. I'm just wondering, this must be quite a strange experience in that case, just sitting and watching yourself over and over again and then having to talk about it afterwards, it's, uh slightly peculiar. I feel yes. like I should apologize. Is that, yes, is that appropriate? You I'm sorry. I can only say sorry. It's all right. I forgive let's, you. Let's look at another clip in that case. You mentioned 20th century women. No, it's also a big ego trip, so come is on. Is it? Is it? Yeah, in fact, it's a bit strange in that way, especially in this room. There's a picture of, of Albert Einstein and George Bernard Shaw in the other room, and I found that slightly intimidating. It's Marilyn Monroe They're together well. in the same picture. And there's Marilyn Monroe and Liza Minnelli and never mind. And now you, and now you. 20th Century Women, I mean, the reason I wanted to talk about it, apart from the fact it's just a fantastic movie, is the character you play, Dorothea. I mean, I'm wondering whether she's this incredible mix of kind of levity and gravity. She's lived a lot of life and she's still got, you know, life to live. I wonder whether you feel more attached to certain characters, you know, in your body of work than others. And I wonder whether Dorothea was one of them. Well, you actually read the script and thought, you know what, actually, I like this woman. I love them all. That's the joy of it, is that you don't have to judge people when you're playing them. You love them, and you're their advocate. And that's a, that's a fabulous feeling, you know, fighting for somebody like that. You're their advocate, and you don't have to be, it doesn't have to be, um, yeah, you don't have to judge them. So, Dorothea, uh, Mike Mills directed, wrote and directed it, and it's all Mike Mills. He's this sort of mad genius. He's not mad at all. He's very sane. He's very grounded, but he was consumed with this story, and um, <laughs> he, uh, he was considering a number of actresses. I have not yet asked him who else, but I'll get him one day. <laughs> I have a feeling I might know. Anyway, so he met, he, he gave, he sent me the script, said, would you please, please read this? And then if you like it, please meet with me. So I read it. It blew my mind because I'm from California. I grew up in Southern California at that time. 
So I just started thinking about so many, I had so many of my own personal associations, um, and I just loved the material. So I was like, fine, great, so I'll, I'll meet him. So we met, and um, he, and it was, it was great, we just talked. And he asked me to do the part, and he's so imaginative. And the way he approached it, I've never worked on a movie the way we worked on it, and I really loved it. And the other people I learned so much from, Greta Gerwig, who's now made her own movie, who's incredible and smart and just a fine actress, and Billy Crudup, and the boy who played my son, and Elle Fanning, and we all bonded, and we went on trips together, and we improvised together, we danced together, we would dance, we had dance parties. I mean, it's like the thing that you think would never happen, that they sort of pretend would happen in acting school. <laughs> but actually it happened once. <laughs> you know? So there we were, we were dancing and we were improvising and you know, he would, he would have certain, he gave them all books to read. I don't remember, he, and we talked endlessly because I was playing his mother. So who doesn't want to talk about their mother? It's and very he, true. <laughs> <laughs> so we, talk, we still talk about his mother and we already made the movie. Um, so yeah, or some version of his mother. So it was really, I loved her. I did love her and I loved, um, what the writing had, what, what the, you know, there was a lot of great writing. We ended up improvising a lot. I think we figured out about 25% of the movie we improvised. He would have us improvise, he would have us do it with no dialogue. He would have us do it, um, I don't know, in all kinds of different ways. It was, it was really a joy and very hard. I mean, all of this is so hard. All of these films, you know, talking about them in retrospect, it's like, oh, let's have a chat, and it's all kind of funny. But in the moment, it's just, you know, you don't know. You're, you're in, it's like you're on a journey, but you're just kind of looking. And you're always in that state of, well, which way? And did, did we just get there? Oh, no. I have to move on and hope that was all right. I think that was right. Let me bet the next thing to do. You know, you're always in this state of, of it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's a good feeling, but it's a very uncertain feeling that you have to learn to live with because it's, it's imperative, especially if you want to try to find something in front of the camera that's unexpected because it's easy to plan. That's great. If we could just plan everything, then we could all make great movies all the time. But it's what you don't plan. And especially with the camera, that's what it wants to see. And that's the thing that nobody's ever discussed and nobody's ever that, hey, it would be great if you, you just, something will happen. And once in a while something does happen, and when that happens, then it's really exciting. Um, and uh, so, yeah, it's that whole planning, preparing for the unexpected and all of that, so. But we did a lot of preparation. What I read was that, actually, while you were building up the character, you watched the favorite films of Mike Mills' mother, is that true? And I wondered, because I mean, films can be such a clue to someone's soul. So was that part of the process, or is that? Um, I remember I watched Stage Door because, yes, oh, and Humphrey Bogart. <laughs> he wanted me to watch Humphrey Bogart okay. movies. Okay. I wanted to ask about your performance there with Elle Fanning as well because, you know, we, we talked about you and older actresses at the start of your screen career, and I wondered when you're working with someone like Elle Fanning, who I think you've worked with twice, yes. Ginger and Rosa as well. Are you, in what kind of relationship are you having with her, I suppose, I suppose on and off camera? I mean, do you feel like you want to mentor a younger actress? You know, I suppose both as a performer and also then as someone making their way in this industry. Um, uh, <laughs> I, tend to, um, I tend to mother everybody. And um, uh, Elle is an extraordinary girl. Uh, she's a lovely, lovely person. She's so much fun. She has a great sense of humor. I adore her, and so she, and she has a wonderful family. She doesn't need anybody mothering her. And the young actors like Elle um, Lucas, who played my son, uh, they're particularly great to watch because they're just doing it. Elle probably a little less so because she's made a lot of films and she probably has a lot more skill. But uh, the great ones, when they're kids, are the best because they're, they're just doing what they are doing intuitively. And um, that's the thing we're trying to find again, <laughs> right? So I, have, I learned that years ago, that they're the ones to watch 
really carefully in how they, they do what they do. They, te they, they know how to just do enough. So, um, and Elle is such a great girl, and I think she's going to go on and just continue to make, she has very good taste, and now she's worked with so many people. <laughs> She's done a lot of movies. I was kind of worried about her when I first met her. I just wanted, not worried that there was anything wrong, but I just wanted her to have a normal life. And I wanted her to have a taste of going to high school and being around other kids and that kind of thing. So I sort of did, you know, pull her aside and her grandmother, <laughs> please let her go to school, you know, because she could have just gone from film to film. But she did, and she, she did go to school. And she just graduated now. She's, she just turned 18 or it was a while ago, and she, um, you know, she's like, I can just go and do what I want. I can go to the set. I don't have to have my mother or a minder with me. It was, you know, she was, she was, and, and also all the kids are doing two things because they have to do schoolwork sure. and work. So they're always doing twice as much work as the rest of us are. And so she's like, I don't have to do schoolwork anymore. So no, she's, she's extraordinary. She's a great girl. I've monopolized the conversation, which I didn't intend to, um, and I will hand it over. I just wanted to talk quite quickly about your new movie, from uh, Film Stars at Night in Liverpool. You mentioned Gloria Graham once already. You're playing Gloria Graham, so I just wanted to ask about the challenge of that, which seems a daunting challenge. I mean, Gloria Graham, this incredible bombshell. Was she someone whose films you were already familiar with, whose kind of iconography you were already besotted with? Well, I had watched her because Stephen had suggested, Stephen Frears had suggested that I watch her. So I was somewhat familiar with her. I'd seen some of her movies. But now, because I was working on this film, even though she's, I'm playing her at my age, I wanted to see all of the films. And it's truly thrilling to watch all the films. I highly recommend Sudden Fear, which is one that I hadn't watched with Joan Crawford. <laughs> it's such a great movie. Um, and Joan Crawford is... She out Joan Crawford's Joan Crawford. <laughs> and it's such a great plot. And uh, there's a simplicity to it. And I think that she had produced it herself. She, Joan Crawford, she, um, it starts in a theater in New York City. And she's this very glamorous playwright, Joan, Joan Crawford. And they're, they're actors up on the stage. And she's saying to the playwright, uh, to the producer and the director, fire him. Fire that one. I don't <laughs> like him. And they say, well, we can't do that. And she said, well, I have that right. I'm the playwright. Fire him. So they fire Jack Palance. And um, she, then they open the play. It's a huge success. She gets on the train to go back to California. Halfway there, she notices Jack Palance. He's in the train station. He's right there. Oh, my God, what's he doing there? He gets on the plane. He gets on the train with her and, and starts to play cards. And then suddenly they're madly in love, and they have this mad affair, and then they arrive in San Francisco and she's crazy about him, and, and then, it's not till then you find out that he's in fact a swindler, and his partner is Gloria Graham, it's so great, and then they, and then they you know, plot to kill her, to take her money, it's so wonderful, and actually it's that film where Gloria and Joan Crawford both have this white scarf, and one ends up dressing up like the other one in the fur coat, and there, there are echoes of that in the, in the Grifters that Stephen first sure. did. Yeah, so anyway, yeah, there, In a Lonely Place is one of my favorites of Gloria's. Um, and then she did Oklahoma, of course. That was probably her last biggest movie. She really had a, time, a hard time after that. She couldn't get work. She had a very scandalous personal life. Maybe that had something to do with it. And um, she then really, it was really tough. She made a few television shows, a very bad horror movie in the 70s. And, and that's why she ended up in England doing plays because she was in Watford, she was in Sheffield at those theaters. And they would play, I'm just a girl who can't say no uh, in the movie theater uh, as, I mean, in the, in the theater theater as the curtain would come down for The Glass Menagerie or Rain. Sure. Uh, she sure. also did Rain which um, really, when you think about it, she was doing Rain, and she was in her 50s. It was, um, it's a wonderful short story. Um, great, great short story. I read the short story. The play is kind of corny, but... And it's another astonishing performance from Star Trek. Oh, thank you. We've got time for just a couple of questions. So if you do have a question for Annette, raise your hand in this really rather splendid and bizarre room. Um, Yes, just over here in the front. What sort of criteria do you have for, you know, selecting the right script for the next project that you do? 
thank you for your question. Um, well, I have a family. I have four kids. They're big. They're, they've grown now, so now that's changing because they're, they're flying out into the world. I only have my youngest is at home, who's in high school. But a lot of it has been for many, many years, when is this shooting and where is this shooting? And I, I mean that quite honestly. So there's that, but that, that's changing a little bit. Um, and I've been able to also sort of make things work that in terms of time, because if I really love something. Um, so it's, uh, I think it's just a very straightforward, simple uh, process. It's, does it get you? You know, are you moved by it? Is the narrative strong? Because I know that no matter what I do as an actress, if that's not there, I can't make it work. That I've learned. Sometimes I can see a problem and I know what might help. Very often I see there's a problem and I don't quite know what it is and I can't really solve it. Um, it's also, of course, it's the director because it's the director's medium. It's not uh, the actor's medium. That's the theater. And they take, you're giving it to them. And it, the process, they determine the process, how you're going to put it, you know, how you're, the process of how you're going to put it together. I try to be very much flexible in that way. Um, and I know when I started, Again, I mean, I'd done a lot of plays, but I didn't know how does this work in the movies. Milos Forman rehearsed endlessly. And then I went to do a picture with someone else, Robert De Niro, I did a picture with him, and he didn't want to rehearse at all. We had to do a read-through, and he, he just, that was, he, it was very unpleasant for him. He didn't like doing that. And he didn't want to rehearse at all. So I figured, well, he's Robert De Niro, he knows what he's doing. Um, so then I would sort of watch, well, how, how do I feel? Do I like to rehearse? And you know, what, what I've come down to is it's wonderful to be able to sit and talk and have a conversation beforehand, even if, and, and it is helpful to read through, not that you're trying to do it like you're going to do it, but that just to say the words to get them out. But the narrative itself, and uh, you know, I want to be moved or made, you know, amused, whatever. You, I don't, what, what I, you understand what I mean. So it's not like I have to sob every time I read a script, but, but if, I'm, if, if it preoccupies me, um, then that's a very good sign. I, uh, I can't quite get it out of my head. I find myself thinking about it. I find myself going back into it and thinking about it more. And, and I'm always looking for something different. Um, but, I, you know, I'm very lucky. I, I'm very lucky, and I've, I've been very lucky to do the ones that I've done. Um, and, and, you know, part of it when, when I started was just, was just luck because there, there were other movies that weren't very good that I would have done. I just didn't get them. Um, and then I happened to get a few that were, that were with more prestigious people. So a lot of it was just luck. And, and, uh, but, I, but I read a lot. And I read a lot of uh, material. And uh, so there's, there's no sense to it. You just have to, if it's something that really, that really grabs you. Um, yeah. Does that make sense? I don't know if that's any help. but We've got time for one more question, I think. Yes, just here. I can't really see you. Thank you for a lovely evening. Thank you. Um, I've admired your work for, for many, many years. Thanks. And my question starts as being an observation and finished with, with a question. One of the things I love about the work you do, Annette, is your face actually moves. When you're on stage or when you're on film, your face moves and we see you. And I am heartily sick of seeing so many films with women your age and my age where their faces don't move. And I just want to ask, what can you do, what can anybody do to celebrate women being the age we are? That's a very good last question. <laughs> uh, well, thank you. That's a great compliment. Um, yeah, I don't know what to say about all of that. I, um, I don't know. I, I noticed the same thing. <laughs> Um, and it's just the part of the modern world, isn't it? It's part of the, of the medical advances and scientific advances. <laughs> you know, and it's not just people my age or our age. It's also very young people are doing that as well. So I 
don't know, it'll be inter interesting to see what the long-term ramifications of that are. I kind of think there's room for everyone. And I, I don't really, um, and I have, many of my dear friends have had lots of plastic surgery. And for them it makes sense, and I understand that. Um, and it's not that I'm not vain, and you know, it's not that I don't, that I just celebrate every wrinkle. <laughs> you know, I have the same vanity as anybody else. Um, but I don't know, I've just, when I became an actress, I, a lot of the people that I admired were much older. And also in my family. My dad is 91, my mom is 88, they've been married 67 years. I had a grandfather that lived to be 100. Um, there's a lot of longevity in my family, I'm very lucky. And I've always been interested in that. Um, I've always been interested in what happens as one gets older, and I wanted, and I've, I've always had a sort of aspiration to reflect the age that I'm in. And that I wanted, just because, I, I think I want this because this is what I want when I go to see things. I want to be pulled into it. And I am, I love going to things. I saw, in fact, I saw a play in New York, right before I came here, I stopped in New York and I saw a play. And Brenda Wheel, who is one of the actresses in the American Beauty clip, you know, the two ladies that are by the pool, and there's one lady with this long frizzy hair. So her name is Brenda Wheel, the actress. She's a great actress. And she's in a play right now in New York called Mary Jane, which is so beautifully done. And I felt um, just this play. I just, it's at the New York Theater Workshop. I just, I was, it washed over me. I was so swept away. And I love that feeling. I love that feeling, and I love that feeling in the movies as well. The movies are so powerful. I was just in Venice at the Venice Film Festival at, on the jury, and I saw 21 films in nine days. <laughs> That's a lot of movies. But it was so inspiring. Just to see what people from all over the globe are thinking about, what they're preoccupied with, and the fact that there's a lot of bad you know, there's a lot of horrible things going on in the world right now, right? We know that. That's always the case in so many ways. There's so much pain. There's so much suffering, right? But there are all these people, nonetheless, trying to make something, to show something that's, that's happening. And when you see this plethora of films, when you see an international group of films, then you really, my God, the power that cinema has is incredible. And so for me, I just want, that's, I want to be, you know, an instrument in that part of the, tell, of the storytelling. So I figure um, I just want to be the age that I am. I just did a, a movie, Vanessa Redgrave is in uh, Film Stars Don't Die in Liverpool. She plays my mother. She has one scene with Frances Barber. She was doing Richard III here in London at the time. So she came on her day off and did a 12-hour day. And I was, I mean, it was one of those moments. I thought, I can't believe that I am standing here acting in a scene with Vanessa Redgrave. That's just like, blew my mind. It's a great scene as well. <laughs> Thank you. She was great, right? So there's Vanessa doing what she's doing. And then I made a movie with her. Just, I just finished an entire film that we did together that's just over. So, you know, there are people like her. There are a number of them, heroes of mine. So um, that's kind of what, what, where I'm headed. But you know what? If I had to stop for some reason, I, I'd probably drive my husband crazy <laughs> and my kids. I'd probably become very neurotic. I don't know what I would. But um, I, so I'm sort of joking. But um, part of me thinks, well, I've, I've been very lucky. You know, I've got to do a lot. So um, I'd like to continue doing it and uh, working with interesting people. And you know, you, I don't know how a lot of you older folks like me feel, but getting older is sort of freeing in a way. You know, it, it's quite freeing. You, um, you, especially maybe more so for women, I don't know. Because it's like, oh, you've pleased enough people, you don't have to do that anymore, thank God. <laughs> okay, that's done. And uh, you know, I mean, I, I've always been a, a pretty much a conciliatory person in a working atmosphere, and I still am. 
but I also know more now. So if I see something or I have an idea about something, I'm very diplomatic. In the past, I might have noticed something and thought, well, I really shouldn't say anything. I'm just the actress. I'll just sit over here and be quiet. That's kind of a problem there, but I'll just, you know, now I'll say, excuse me, can I just, I think there's a problem. That might be, I don't know, that maybe we should look at that. Because this happens all the time in film. You, you're filmmakers, you know. There's part of you that just wants to get the day done. And it's like when someone says, you know, that mustache looks bad. It's like, it, it's fine, it's fine, okay? Please, we need to get the shot, we need to get on. And then you make the movie and there's this fucking mustache. <laughs> and it wrecks the scene and you think, why didn't someone say something? <laughs> um, that happens all the time. And so sometimes the people that are being the squeaky wheel, um, you, we need them because they're the ones saying, you know, this isn't, this isn't really working, okay? I, I'm sorry, the scene, uh, I, I, can I be honest? Uh, you know, I might do that. I might just say, you know, I feel really phony. I, don't, I haven't found it yet. Um, so in the past, I might not have quite put it so bluntly, <laughs> but now I might just say that. I, I have to figure this out. I know it's my job to figure it out, but, I, but I, I can't just pretend that this is working. This doesn't feel truthful to me or whatever. So there's a lot of good things about it, but that's, just, that's my way of, of, of saying thank you. <laughs> we will have to leave it there. Please, with thanks to Aldi. Thank you to the one and only Thank Annette you. Bennett. Thanks for coming.